Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Global crisis. Fears grow after the coronavirus spreads to more Americans and kills one of them. Additional cases in the United States are likely. How should Americans respond? And is the Trump administration prepared? Vice President Mike Pence joins me. And winning big. Former Vice President Biden's first win is a blowout. Democrats want a nominee who's a Democrat. With an opponent prepped for the long haul. We are building a movement that cannot be stopped. Can he keep that momentum going? I'll ask former Vice President Joe Biden coming up. Hello, I'm Jake Tapper in Washington, where the state of our union is competitive. Former Vice President Joe Biden's sweeping victory in South Carolina yesterday, that's the first state to vote with a sizable African-American population, helps him make the case to Democrats that he, not Senator Bernie Sanders, can turn out the votes that Democrats would need to beat President Trump in November. Next up, I'm going to speak with the former vice president, but we're going to begin this morning with the global health crisis, the spread of the coronavirus in the United States and throughout the world. The virus has now claimed the life of its first known American, a man in his 50s in Washington state. And more than 50 people in a long-term nursing facility there are experiencing symptoms of the virus and are being tested after two other people at that facility tested positive. The instinct of President Trump has clearly been to downplay concerns. He said this week that the number of cases have been, quote, going very substantially down, not up, unquote. But health experts say we should expect more cases. And there are serious questions being raised about how prepared the U.S. and the Trump administration are for this crisis. There is a dearth of viable testing kits, for example. I spoke with the man leading the coronavirus response, Vice President Mike Pence, about the likely spread of the disease. Vice President Pence, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you, Jake. So the American people um, really want to hear from the Trump administration about what's happening with the coronavirus. Let me start with the very sad news about the man in Washington state uh, who died. He appeared to have contracted the virus through what's called community spread, meaning not because of travel and not because he had contact with a known quarantined patient. Um, The president said that there are four other patients very sick. Are we expecting, should the public brace themselves for more Americans to die from this? Well, first off, we extend our deepest sympathies uh, to the family of the man who passed away this weekend. And our prayers are certainly with the patients that are seriously ill. The good news is of the 22 Americans uh, that have contracted the coronavirus, uh, more than half of them uh, are almost fully recovered. Um, and, uh, uh, And I think it's all a reflection of the fact Uh, that early on in this crisis, um, in January, the president took the unprecedented step of suspending all travel from China and establishing a quarantining effect. As you know, in addition to those 22 Americans, we have 46 other Americans that have been through quarantine that have contracted the virus, but they're all being treated and they're all doing well. But the president took that action um, 
and establish the quarantines out of, out of an abundance of caution. Mm-hmm. I was literally there in the Oval Office the day the health team came in, said to the president, uh, no president has ever done this before, but, but given what was happening in China, they recommended that he take that action, and the president said, do it. And as, as uh, Dr. Fauci has said, and others have said, um, the risk for the average American to coronavirus remains low, and that is largely owing to the decision the president made, the energetic efforts of CDC and local health officials, and we'll continue to lean in that in a hopeful way. Now, we know there will be more cases. Uh, and possibly and, more deaths. And you know, the, it, it is possible. I mean, the, the reality that Dr. Fauci and others explained to me since I took on these duties a few days ago is that for most people that contract uh, the coronavirus, um, they will recover. They will deal with a respiratory illness. We'll get them treatment. Uh, but for people that have other conditions mm-hmm. um, uh, that would would militate toward uh, a worse outcome, that uh, we, we could have more. We could have more sad news. But w- the American people should know the risk for the average American remains low. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they can be confident. And, uh, and after th- three days leading the president's effort on the coronavirus, uh, I- I'm more confident than ever that we are bringing a whole of government approach. The president has directed the full resources of the federal government and talking with governors around the country, particularly in states where we brought people back home. Uh, California, China. Washington, I've Oregon. Spoken, I've spoken to Governor Cuomo in New York, mm-hmm. Governor Newsom in California. One governor after another has praised the efforts of HHS, CDC, but now it's incumbent on us to continue that effort. We're going to work with members in both parties in Congress to resource our federal agencies and just as important to resource state and local health officials as they engage in the kind of preventative measures and treatment that will, uh, that will mitigate the spread of the coronavirus. As you know, uh, the community spread is one of the most concerning because uh, people who contracted it in China, that's one thing. Obviously, we don't wish it upon anybody, but at least it's, there's an understanding of where it came from. Same thing with a doctor who might get it from a patient. Mm-hmm. There are other people who uh, have community spread coronavirus. Um, what is being done to figure out how they contracted this virus. The way that it works, Jake, is that uh, local health officials are in the lead, but in the cases this weekend and this week that emerged as a, uh, as you said, a community uh, infection, uh, we send CDC officials in to work very closely to identify where they potentially were exposed to the coronavirus. And uh, that aggressive effort is underway. Uh, and uh, who, who heads that CDC, HHS? Uh, actually, the, our local officials, local health officials, state health officials are the front line of defense. But we move CDC personnel in immediately. They consult with them because the objective is we get that patient treated. But we want to find out not just where they got it, but we want to find out who else may have been exposed. So those people can receive the kind of treatment and and have the kind of recovery that most Americans will have that that even contract this disease. What do you say to people who heard you and the president Saturday talk about the woman who died, and then it comes out later that the CDC had erroneously told you it was a woman, but actually it was a man uh, who had died of this. What do you say to people who say that this doesn't fill them with confidence 
about the federal state coordination. Yeah, it, it was uh, the CDC had briefed us speaking to officials in Washington state and it was just a miscommunication. It doesn't lessen the tragedy at all. And again, our, our hearts go out to that man's family yeah. and his friends in that community. Uh, but uh, I have to tell you, Jake, I mean, the president tapped me to lead this coronavirus response, building on the great work our White House task force had been doing. Uh, we've, we've added additional personnel. I've got uh, one of the leading uh, experts in infectious diseases who's going to be my right arm at the White House joining me tomorrow morning at, at, uh, in the West Wing. But uh, if people had seen what I've seen, uh, I, I think they can be very proud of the work CDC is doing, HHS is doing. And just as important, the work that, that our governors and our state governments and local health officials are doing. Let me ask you, because one area that there's definite need for improvement is the testing kits and the number of testing right. kits that are out there. The South Koreans have been able to test more than 90,000 of their citizens for their mm -hmm. coronavirus. Right. The U.S. has had trouble manufacturing the kits. The CDC has struggled a bit and distributing them to local labs. The latest numbers show only maybe around 500 people in the U.S. have been tested. Mm -hmm. Why are we so behind other developed countries on this? And when will there be more of these testing kits delivered uh, to the frontline uh, health care providers? It's a very fair question. And it was one of the first issues that governors I spoke to raised with me. I'm happy to report that this weekend uh, more than 15,000 testing kits have been released. Also, the FDA has approved a testing regimen uh, that state and local officials can be using. Um, and beyond that, we actually are working with a commercial provider with the new testing uh, framework to send another 50,000 kits out. Um, so we're addressing it, we're leaning into it, and more importantly, uh, we, we've established a process in a number of cities across the country where if someone presents at the local hospital with a respiratory ailment, we want them also tested for coronavirus. And so that's why we're gonna move a lot of volume of testing kits uh, is there a goal FDA of like 20,000 more by the end of next week? I mean, what is the, the goal here? Well, I, I was informed by our team just in the last uh, 48 hours that we're going to see 15,000 kits are in the mail. Mm -hmm. They're rolling out. We've approved a process for local testing. Okay. Uh, we, we think we've addressed the issue. But again, um, I, I want to emphasize the American people. What I've seen and what I've heard from these extraordinary personnel at HHS and CDC in, in like Dr. Fauci's case, someone who literally has been there through multiple administrations, is we're ready. Mm -hmm. uh, we're ready. And, the, and this is an all hands on deck effort. And whether it be testing kits or, or whether it be medical devices or protective gear for our health care providers. You know, one of the things the president made clear, Jake, was... Mm -hmm. Our first priority is patients that have contracted the coronavirus. Immediately after that is any healthcare providers, any doctors and nurses and people that are going to be coming alongside people that have contracted this disease. And so we, we literally just uh, entered into a contract uh, with 3M. They'll be producing another 35 million masks a month right. starting immediately. We have about, about 43 million masks um, uh, stockpiled today. I want to say to your viewers, though, um, it is not necessary for uh, for Americans to go out and buy masks. Right. It's not going to do anything for you. It's the people who have coronavirus that have the masks, well, need the masks. And it's right. our, and, but it, more, and the health care providers. It's our health care providers. Right. We want to make sure 
and the president's made this clear to me, we want to make sure that the people that are treating people uh, that have contracted the coronavirus have the protective gear, the masks and the gloves. And we're working uh, very energetically to accomplish that. So I do want to ask you a, a political question about this, even though it's, I see it primarily as a health issue. There's been a lot of unfortunate rhetoric on the left and on the right about the coronavirus. I want you to take a listen to something that the president's son, Don Jr., said about Democrats and the coronavirus uh, just on Friday. Anything that they can use to try to hurt Trump, they will. But for them to try to take a pandemic and seemingly hope that it comes here and kills millions of people so that they could end Donald Trump's streak of winning is a new level of sickness. Can we agree that neither Democrats nor Republicans want Americans to get the coronavirus and die from it? I mean, that does seem like a it seems like very extreme rhetoric. I don't expect you to criticize the president's son, but you don't think that Democrats want people to contract this disease, do you? Well, I think what the president said earlier this week and his charge to me is to remind the American people that the risk is low, to assure the American people that we're ready. But also to say, as the president said, this is no time for politics. And frankly, uh, I think that was Don Jr.'s point, that there has been some very strong rhetoric directed at the president by some members of Congress. And you don't think that was a strong rhetoric? Well, you said seemingly Democrats want but, millions of Americans to die of coronavirus. But uh, responding to a, the kind of uh, things that have been hurled. Uh, is is understandable. But what the president's charged us to do in my conversation with Speaker Pelosi, with Senator Schumer, my conversations with Republican and Democrat governors is to set the politics aside on this and to work the problem. And, and I want to assure you, viewers, that's exactly what we're doing. And with with the exception of um, some some barbs being thrown by some of the predictable voices in the public debate on on the on the left, the usual shots the president will take. Some that I, I've heard some I've from really the right, heard, also with respect, sir. I've heard some, not from you, but I've well, heard some from the right. Well, look, I, I what I'm telling you is that um, this is really a time for us to come together. Because okay. remember, we're talking about the health and lives of the American people. You know, I spoke on the phone last night to Jerry Goldman. She is the the wife of Carl Goldman. And I caught her on a great night because she'd just gotten a blood test back. She'd been in quarantine for several weeks. She got a clean bill of health. She's going home, back to their small business. And she told me Carl's doing great, uh, but he's still got a ways to go uh, before they allow him to go on home and be back in his community. I mean, we're talking about real Americans dealing with the coronavirus. And I think it really is a time. It really is a time for us to look for ways to come together. And, and I have to tell you, Jake, mm -hmm. um, the conversations that I'm having with leaders in the Congress, the conversations I'm having uh, with, frankly, Democrat and Republican governors around the country gives me great hope uh, that as we, as we move forward, um, and, and in the wake of the tragic news of this weekend of the loss of an American life, I continue to believe that we have an opportunity to come together to make sure our, all of our agencies have the resources that they need, uh, all of our states have the resources uh, that they need, and with the, with the proper expertise, the proper resources, and the prayers of millions of Americans, we're gonna get through this. One last question, sir, and uh, it's on the same topic of American lives and, and prayers, and that has to do with uh, the P 
peace deal or, or whatever you want to call it that's going on right. in Afghanistan right now. Um, and uh, the U.S. just signed this agreement with the Taliban Saturday. It's a formal step aimed at ending the war in the long term, um, withdrawing U.S. service members. I have to say, just I, I am surprised that the deal does not require the Taliban to renounce al-Qaeda. It does say that they can't give any aid or assistance in any way to al-Qaeda, but it doesn't demand that they um, renounce them. Um, and, you know, to be frank, this idea that they're not going to aid al-Qaeda is a lie that the Taliban has told for many, many years. And as you know, because it was a joint U.S.-Afghan operation just last September, um, the head of uh, al-Qaeda uh, in um, the Indian subcontinent, Asim Umar, was killed in Helmand province mm-hmm. just last September mm-hmm. by our, our, our brave uh, soldiers. Shouldn't the Taliban agree to renounce al-Qaeda before the U.S. withdrawal service members? Uh, the agreement signed today uh, represents a historic step forward on the path to peace. And we remain hopeful uh, that it will hold. Now, that being said, the, the president said, if, if, if the Taliban continues to keep their word, and we just went through seven days where we saw a dramatic reduction of violence, and violence against American forces in Afghanistan and innocent civilians. If that continues to hold, the president's made it clear that we're going to be able to reduce forces in the region. But I I wouldn't gainsay what the the Taliban has literally signed and put in writing. It is the first time ever that they have been willing to commit publicly to to oppose uh, the presence of al-Qaeda in their region. Any time that they, first time they've ever spoken out against terrorist elements. And 19 years ago, and, and, and thousands of American lives and injuries of our extraordinary soldiers since, um, we all remember that it was al-Qaeda and terrorist elements that, we, that we've still been fighting to this day mm-hmm. in Afghanistan that brought us there to the first place. The attack of 9-11 originated from Afghanistan, and it was why we launched U.S. forces to begin with. But in talking to Zal Khalizaid and talking to Secretary of State Pompeo, the, the president and I have a sense that uh, for the first time, there's an opportunity for peace uh, that, uh, that President Ghani and the Afghanistan government signed the agreement today. The Taliban signed the agreement. They've made a commitment to oppose the presence of terrorist elements and terrorist organizations using Afghanistan to launch attacks around the world, including against us. But now the, the hard work begins, and, and it's going to be incumbent on both parties to work together uh, to form an Afghanistan government. And in the meantime, uh, we're going to monitor it closely, and, and we are going to continue to hope that 19 years since the initiation of hostilities in Operation Enduring Freedom and thousands of American lives lost and injuries that, uh, that we will find our way toward a peaceful political resolution in Afghanistan and be able to bring our troops home. All right. The hard work begins. Good luck with that work and also, of course, with the Coronavirus Task Force. Thank you so much for being here, Mr. Vice President. Thank you, Jay. Good to see you. He won big in South Carolina. The next major test, Super Tuesday, is days away. Former Vice President Joe Biden joins me next. Stay with us. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper. Former Vice President Joe Biden crushed 
the competition in South Carolina yesterday by almost 30 points, a blowout win just days before Super Tuesday. He joins me now from the Super Tuesday state of Alabama. Mr. Vice President, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Let me ask you, you're leading in the overall popular vote through the first four state contests. Are you the new front runner? Oh, I think we got a long way to go. Uh, look, we just uh, this was a big boost for us. Uh, I think we're going to do well in a number of states. But uh, Super Tuesday is we're only three days away. Uh, and uh, we're in a situation where we uh, we're just beginning to raise the kind of money we thought we'd be able to raise in the front end. We've raised about 17, 18 million dollars this month, five million dollars just since the victory or during the victory in South Carolina. So we're feeling good. But it's a long way to go, Jake. And uh, Senator Sanders obviously has a lot of money and a lot of organization. Right now, you trail him. You're second place when it comes to delegates, um, leading the rest of your fellow non-Sanders candidates. Have there been any conversations about consolidating the field to take on Senator Sanders? And if not, do there need to be, you think? Well, uh, I haven't had any conversations along those lines. Um, But, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a decision for the rest of the field to make as they move forward. I'm not going to presume to tell anyone they should drop out and and, uh, you know, take on Bernie Sanders. I think everyone knows that it's going to be much more difficult to uh, win back the Senate and keep the House if Bernie's at the top of the ticket. But that's a judgment for them to make. And uh, I think that'll sort of work itself out uh, in the near term. I know you say that um, the, the theory of the case on the Sanders side uh, is that he inspires excitement among Uh, voters and will be able to bring out more voters, people who sat out 2016. And it's true that his rallies and events uh, draw crowds that we do not see among any other person running for president on the Democratic side. How are you going to be able to fix that excitement gap, uh, enthusiasm gap? Well, go ahead. No, well, I was in North Carolina yesterday up in Raleigh. We had a thousand people show up. Um, Look, uh, you know, the idea that there's a direct correlation between the number of people who rally and the number of people who turn out. We had the largest turnout in South Carolina. And I don't think that was I think that was no small part because of our campaign. And uh, we won every single solitary county in the state. uh, And as you said, we won convincingly. That doesn't mean I'll do that everywhere. But what's happening is that, uh, look, it's it's, it's, people aren't looking for a revolution, in my view. Uh, what they're looking for is they're looking for results. They're looking for getting things done. And Bernie doesn't have a very good track record of getting things done in the United States Congress, the United States Senate. And, uh, and, and much of what he's proposing is very, very much pie in the sky. He's talking about spending $60 trillion and not raising taxes on the middle class and being able to get it done quickly and so on. I've laid out clearly how we can get health care plan covering everybody and have a Medicare option for those who want it. And we can get it done quickly. I've I've laid out I've laid out a, a, a game plan as to how we can get things done. And I will and be honest with you. I mean, he hadn't had much of a record of getting anything done in the United States House of Representatives or the Senate. I think he's passed seven, eight bills. I don't know. He's worked with John McCain. We were talking about John earlier off 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 the off the uh, record here. Uh, And uh, John, uh, he did some good work on veterans. He's on the Veterans Committee. But I've gotten major, major things done. I'm able to cross the aisle and get things done. And so I think it's about, uh, you know, who can not only win, bring along a Senate and keep a House, the House Mm. of Representatives, but who can then get something done. And that's for the public to decide, obviously, but that's the case I'm trying to make. So 
obviously Super Tuesday looms. You, you said last night that the endorsement of Congressman Jim Clyburn, the House Majority Whip, and, and the dean of the South Carolina delegation, you said he, uh, his endorsement, quote, brought you back in South Carolina. But I have to note, and I don't know if you know about this, but earlier in the day, uh, he told CNN that the Biden campaign needs an overhaul to compete going forward, that you need to improve fundraising, you need to improve get-out-the-vote efforts, and much more. Take a listen to a brief excerpt of this. We need to do some retooling in the campaign, no question about that. I did not feel free to speak out about it or to even deal with it inside Mm -hmm. because I had not committed to his candidacy. Mm -hmm. I have now. I'm all in. And I'm not going to sit idly by and watch people mishandle this campaign. He's saying people are mishandling uh, your campaign. This is a supporter. I'm sure he's even more uh, verbose behind closed doors. Are you going to overhaul your campaign? Well, we're, it's, about, it's about addition, not subtraction. We're bringing on some each of these primaries and or caucus states. We, when they go by, we bring on more and more people of real competence and consequence. And he's right about the fundraising. But, for example, just uh, last night we raised $5 million online. We've raised about $18 million so far just this month. Things are beginning to change. And uh, he's right. And I listen to his counsel. And I think he and I listen to his counsel relative to how I can get better as well. And so this is about addition, not subtraction. And going into Super Tuesday, we have in Super Tuesday states 340 major endorsements. We don't have the troops on the ground that we've because haven't had the money to get that done. But we're going to do, I think, better than anybody expects. And then we move into states where I'm confident we're going to be able to win on primaries like Florida and, uh, and Georgia and other places. So I think this is, this is a marathon. We've got to continue to improve. That's what it's all about. I think that's what's happening. I'm curious as to your take on the administration's response to the coronavirus crisis. We just learned of the first American death from the disease yesterday. What, if anything, do you think you would be doing differently if you were president right now? I know what I would have done differently, what we did in the Ebola crisis. You know, the, use, the, the I heard Vice President say they set up an office in the White House. We had an office in the White House. We, after the, after the, the, the us dealing with a pandemic that could have been incredibly dangerous and, and, and affected the world, Ebola, we set up an entire mechanism as how to deal with future outbreaks of, 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 of pandemic diseases. They eliminated that office when they came in play. They cut the funding for CDC. They did not, in fact, want, even want to keep the, they tried to cut the funding at, at uh, you know, in terms of HHS. And so what look here, we knew this was coming. We knew this was coming back as far as January. They didn't even begin to prepare the testing kits. I mean, this is something that's that's kind of elementary. We talked about testing kits. We're now going to get them. Well, I'm I look, I I don't want to I don't want to talk down the possibility of us being able to do this well. But, you know, the idea that Donald Trump said just several days ago, this was a Democratic hoax. What in God's name is he talking about? What in God's name is he talking about? Has he no shame? We're in a situation where I I respect Vice President Pence and him being put in charge, but we should be hearing from the scientist. He mentions Fauci. Fauci's been there since since Bush, all through presidents. We listened to him. He was a spokesperson. He was out in front. Let the scientists speak. Let them tell us what's going on. Let them prepare us. 
Let them prepare the country. Let them be the ones expanding how they're going to provide the protective gear for hospitals that are intake hospitals. And as you pointed out, uh, Jake, the fact is that, you know, the uh, other nations have had thousands of tests so far. What are we doing? Why are we just why are we just getting started? I would have not dismantled the organization we had put in place in the first place. I would have made sure we had American scientists in China insisting we know what's happening in China. And I would be doing the, the same thing in Europe, where it's now spread. The idea that this is not a pandemic, that this is not worldwide, that it's not going to get worse, doesn't mean we're going to die, but it's going to get worse, is absolutely bizarre. Mr. Vice President, stick around. We've got lots more to talk about next. We're going to squeeze in a quick break. Stay with us. Okay. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper. We're back with the big winner from last night, former Vice President Joe Biden, uh, with his overwhelming victory in South Carolina. Mr. Vice President, let me ask you, the odds are increasing significantly that this will be a contested convention in Milwaukee, the Democratic National Convention. If no candidate has the required 1,991 delegates to be the Democratic nominee, are you going to fight for the nomination even if you are in second place in delegates? Yes. I mean, look, the rules have been set. And I, I find a lot of folks in Bernie's operation are now saying that whoever goes in with the most delegates, even if they're not closer, they're a distance from the 19 plus hundred that we need, uh, that, that, that should, they should be declared the winner. I wonder where that view was when he was challenging Hillary uh, after she went in with a commanding lead. Look, uh, you don't change the rules in the middle of the game. And I'm not at all certain that we're right. I'm not a, I'm not a pundit. I don't know that we're going to win with Bernie ahead. I hope that's not the case. I hope I'm ahead. But but we'll see. But I, I think, you know, you play by the rules. You think that Bernie Sanders can't beat President Trump. Um, why do you think that you will be able to beat him, given the fact that Bernie does have more enthusiasm among young people and among uh, some other minority groups, not in South Carolina, obviously, but nationally? <laughs> well, let me put it this way. I, I think that uh, enthusiasm does not necessarily translate into votes. Uh, you saw more people voted yesterday in South Carolina, I'm told, than I think in the primary than any other time, the largest turnout. And, uh, you know, I, and I won every single solitary county, every single solitary county. Doesn't mean that that holds for every state. But, you know, I think people aren't looking for a revolution. They're looking for results. They're looking for who can not only beat Donald Trump, but who can keep a Democratic House of Representatives and who can bring along a Democratic Senate. And that means you've got to be able to compete in almost every state from the top of the ticket. Mm -hmm. And it's just a matter of fact. If you're going to try to win a seat in Georgia or North Carolina or South Carolina or Florida, who do you want in the top of the ticket? I, so I think it's, it's a um, I think the confusion is that this is, and, and that I don't have any support of young people. I do. I get about I got about 30 percent of the people that are anyway. So I, the, the point is, I think this is just a, a long game here. But people want results. They're not looking for revolution. They want results. Mm -hmm. They want a return of decency. They want to be able to get things done. And uh, I have a record that is uh, far superior on those two issues uh, than Bernie's. I want to ask you about Afghanistan because the U.S. signed an agreement yesterday with the Taliban uh, in hopes that it will lead to the end of America's longest war. Uh, the U.S. is committed to withdraw all military forces in 14 months. 
If you were president, would you agree to this deal that the U.S. just made with the Taliban? Well, based on what I understand the deal to be, and there's changes that we're, we're all being made aware of, is that that uh, there is no commitment required on the part of the Taliban that they will not support al-Qaeda or a, the terrorist organizations that they have supported before or let live, let live and let live uh, in that area. And, uh, and, and the number of the troops that are talking about being drawn down only takes you down to the number of troops that were there when we left office. And uh, I think it's very important that they have a commitment from the Taliban that, in fact, they are not going to support al-Qaeda. They're not going to support those organizations that use the, uh, uh, the, e- the eastern, western Pakistan and, uh, and Afghanistan to launch attacks against the United States. I, I'm sorry to interrupt. Sorry. I would it's, insist the, on the, keep- the, the deal does uh, say that the Taliban uh, will not aid uh, al-Qaeda. Now, it doesn't say that they will renounce al-Qaeda, but it says that they will not aid al-Qaeda. I, I'm sorry. I, I, again, I've not read the deal. I've just know it's been reported. I, I was to, under the impression that we had to begin to draw down, period, whether or not that has ever have been demonstrated yet. But here's the deal. As you know, Jake, I was against surging troops to Afghanistan in the first place. We're not nation builders. We can't build that nation. We should not be in the business of doing that. But we should have a small footprint to be able to determine whether or not there are are a terrorist organizations operating in the region that are planning attacks against the United States. And uh, we should have cooperation from the Afghan government on that and a commitment from the mm-hmm. Taliban that they will not in any way support that effort. All right, Mr. Vice President, congratulations again on your victory. Hope you'll come back to State of the Union. Thanks so much. No, thanks for having me, Jake. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. In two days, Democrats in 14 more states will vote. Will all the current candidates still be in the race? That's next. Big or lose, that's a choice. Most Americans don't want the promise of revolution. They want more than promises. They want results. The people of this country on Super Tuesday and after are going to support our campaign. Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, after Biden's blowout South Carolina win, does that make him the new comeback kid heading into Super Tuesday? Let's discuss. Uh, Van, let me start with you. Yeah. Uh, first of all, is it now basically a two-person race? And second of all, what do you think is going to happen Tuesday? Well, I mean, it needs to become a two-person race for the party to be able to make a clear decision. Uh, we'll see what other candidates do. Listen, Tuesday is very simple. You have Bernie says, congratulations, South Carolina. I've got a movement. Uh, Bloomberg says, I've got a money machine. Let's see if that works. Biden says, I've got me. That's what I've got. And maybe that's enough uh, on Tuesday. But if it's not, uh, Biden, if he wants to clear this field, if he wants to be able to get this nomination and also take on Trump, he's got to put a real campaign together now. Uh, even his closest people are saying the campaign operation he's had up until now is inadequate. Um, but listen, we, 24 hours from now, 48 hours from now, you're going to be talking about Bernie Sanders, California, Texas, Latinos, and then we're going to see where we are. There are 14 contests coming up, Rebecca. What do you think? So let's face it. Biden had a great night last night. But when you think about it, he's now the fourth candidate that moderates have rallied behind. First, there was Pete. Then there was the, the boomlet around Amy. And then uh, Bloomberg was supposed to save everyone up until Elizabeth Warren destroyed him on the debate stage. So now we're at Biden. But he has 
He has to get through all three of the moderates on Super Tuesday. And then he has the money problem. Bernie got $46.5 million in donations in just February. Bernie is rolling. He, he and Warren have the infrastructure to go the long way. And, and Biden's basically starting from scratch now. What do you think, Sam? Yeah, I, having gone through this before, what I found is that winning on Saturdays is not as good as winning on Tuesdays. Saturdays, you just don't get the media attention. and People aren't paying attention to it. So it's going to be a lift for him, but not nearly as much as, as you think. The other thing I'm looking at is Joe, even on the show today, he said, well, I think I can do well. You know, it's you know, in some states in Super Tuesday and then Florida and Georgia. He's a regional candidate. I mean, he's he's really confined to the southeast is what what he's looking for, where there's a heavy, more conservative black population down there that will vote for him. But that's not Super Tuesday. The big states in Super Tuesday are are Texas Massachusetts, Texas, California, California and not 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 the not Alabama. I mean, that's not where the votes are. And that's not by the way, Joe's winning in areas that Democrats aren't going to win in in the fall. So it's, I don't understand. I don't understand the logic behind it. So I think voters are going to maybe give a little different judgment on Tuesday than what Joe's looking for. Well, what do you think? Amanda? As a Republican, I would like to thank the voters in South Carolina for saying no to socialism loud and clear. That was very satisfying to see. Um, because I've been talking to a lot of concerned Republicans who are just absolutely distraught at the prospect of a Trump-Sanders choice in 2020. They view that as something that would be so dour and so polarizing, it would rip the country apart. And I would think that Michael Bloomberg is probably in that camp, considering he got in the race because, theoretically, he wanted to stop Sanders and didn't think Biden can do it. So, Michael Bloomberg right now has the potential to play a spoiler for that and actually pave the way for Sanders. So I have a lot of questions for him. And now it's time for him to put up. You, you would think he should stay in the race or drop out of the race? I think he should get out. Get out, get out of we the race. We live in a time of very tribal politics. He has no tribe. Mm -hmm. All right. Everyone, uh, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Coming up, an end to America's longest war and a message uh, to those who sacrificed for it. That's next. Finally from us today, an historic deal was signed yesterday in Doha, Qatar, between the U.S. and the Taliban, an agreement that seeks to be the first step in paving a path forward for a larger peace deal with the Afghan government and a withdrawal of U.S. service members from Afghanistan. A Taliban official tells CNN that they have accepted President Trump's invitation for talks in the U.S. This is a deal that seemed unthinkable 18 years ago when the U.S. invaded Afghanistan less than a month after 9-11. And the Taliban was exerting its brutal reign on the Afghan people. But after trillions of dollars spent and thousands of lives lost, including more than 2,000 U.S. service members, this agreement is a formal step aimed at ending America's longest war. Now, many outstanding and serious questions remain. Will the Taliban hold up their end of the bargain? Will the deal make Americans safer? What happens to the rights of women and girls in Afghanistan? But as we note this first step, we want to take a minute to acknowledge and thank those who fought and shed blood and suffered and died for this war. The troops and the veterans and their families, especially the children whose parents never came home. It's a pain most of us cannot even imagine. We pray that this peace is worthy of your sacrifices. Thank you for joining us. Fareed Zakaria speaks to the president of Afghanistan next. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta. 
host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.